Hello and welcome once again to Rasslin' Memories Then and Now on Pioneer 90.1 FM KSRQ. You can go beyond the FM dial if you're out of the listening area and check us out as we stream worldwide at www.radionorthland.org. You can listen to us live or you can listen to archived episodes of Rasslin' Memories Then and Now from our six, now seven years uh, on the of the program here. Uh, that's at radionorthland.org. It'll link you to uh, the page on the website, the Rasslin' Memories page, and they'll get you into our SoundCloud page. Yes, Facebook, too, are available. Rasslin' Memories, uh, the chat page, and also uh, the group page. And uh, you can check us out on TuneIn. I'm Glenn Broggett, along with my uh, co-host, partner in crime. Uh, He's always out doing something from the mobile studio way down there deep in the heart of Texas. I'm talking about the grizzled vet himself, Mr. Mike McCurdy. Mike, what is going on, my friend? And welcome to Rasslin' Memories, then and now. Not much happening this week, man. It's been kind of a kind of a slow week a little bit got a show tonight that i'm going to that i'm looking forward to the uh of course at the time of this recording you know by the time our listeners hear it it'll have already happened but i'm going to be attending the uh maggie martinez intergender tag team invitational presented by dallas championship wrestling they're doing a uh, a benefit for maggie martinez she was a woman who worked with uh premature babies and all at the hospital and this is a fundraiser for in her memory so i'm looking forward to that show tonight and other than that man just kind of you know Chilling in Fort Worth, you know, weather's kind of nice. Mobile studio is nice and cool, not dying. So Kenny Bolin, as always, doesn't have to worry about me. So yeah, he, good. He, he he always sends his thoughts and prayers uh, to you, Mr. McCurdy. I, I talked to Kenny the other day, actually. We're going to have him on here on the show again after the uh, after the holidays are over. We're going to come on and share some more stories. So. Oh, we're going to go to Bolin Manor, Leftovers with Kenny, uh, the, uh, as we usher in 2019. That sounds good. But, Mike, you wanted to say something right off the top before we get into uh, our, our guest today. And we have a great guest, by the way. Uh, great, good booking, my friend. But you wanted to uh, say something here uh, as, at, at the time of this recording, which is uh, Thursday, November 8th, 2018. Yes, I did. Um, I posted on our Facebook page, but on behalf of all of us here at Rasslin' Memories, I just wanted to offer our thoughts and prayers and condolences to the families and friends of the victims of the shooting at Thousand Oaks, California, uh, last night. Man walked into a uh, a bar and just with a handgun and shot, I believe at this time, 11 people are dead, including the gunman, the, and an officer also was gone. So I just wanted to offer our condolences to that because, you know, every day you wake up now and it seems like there's a shooting somewhere and it's mindless. I mean, there's no reason behind it, but it seems to be becoming more common. And I swear, man, I think we're becoming numb to this. It's just like every day you turn on, there's another shooting. But I just wanted to offer those thoughts and prayers to those families, you know, because, you know, their loved ones went out for a night of, you know, it was a country bar. They went out for a night of line dance and listen to country music. And, you know, some of them didn't come home last night, so. Well put, my friend. Yeah, very, very unfortunate thing to happen out there in the Thousand Oaks area. We do offer our uh, our condolences to those who were lost uh, and to the two out there to their families and, and friends, of course. But you know what? You know we got to get out and turn that thing upside down, that old frown we got, because it's time to get into some wrestling memories. And you are like the the, the man when I when I tell the people when you're not here, I say Mike is on the Grizzle Vet is on assignment. He's on assignment, taking care of business. He's the, he's got the TCB. That's what you get tattooed somewhere, my friend, because you take care of business. Uh, yes, you have gotten another wonderful guest, and I was just looking at some of the bio information, and man, 
This gentleman has a, a very, very cool pro wrestling story, and I, I can't wait to uh, to dive into it and talk with him. And I'm going to let you uh, do the honors, of course, because it is you that uh, hooked up this wonderful, wonderful guest today. Our guest does have an interesting wrestling story, and I'm looking forward to talking to him. Um, I've had a chance to interview him before, and he was always a great guest. Uh, great career in the ring here in Texas and all that, just all around. Also world-known as a trainer. He's the owner of the Texas Resident Academy, headed trainer. He has trained many top superstars of our time. One, in fact, that people might know very well, a young man known named Daniel Bryan. He was one of his trainers, and I am very proud to have him as a guest on our show. He's the head trainer and owner of the Texas Wrestling Academy, Mr. Rudy Gonzalez. Rudy, welcome to the show. Thank you, and thank you for the kind words, Mike. And then also on my end, my... (laughs) Uh, prayers and, and my heart goes out, you know, to all the families and victims of the of that shooting last night. Like I was listening to you guys a minute ago, and it's like there's there's hardly a day that goes by that something like that just, you know, <laughs> what's going on in this world today? You know, it, it's a sad occurrence, man. Like I said, it, every day you turn on the news and there's another shooting somewhere, and these are just innocent people going out to have a good time last night. And, you know, some of them didn't return home, so. But, yeah, our yeah, thoughts exactly. and prayers go out to those families, so. You just, it's, it's just, you just don't know anymore nowadays. You just, you know, you can't take things for granted. You can't just go out and, you know, you just don't know. It's crazy. All right, well, Rudy, we have you on here as a guest today. We want to talk a little bit about your career in the ring, out of the ring, you know, wrestler, trainer. But what I'd like to start with is let's give our listeners a little bit of kind of a, a background what were some of your influences um, in wrestling? What what was it that got your attention that made you decide you wanted to get into professional wrestling? Um, so, <laughs> so my story is uh, when I was younger, I wasn't a I wasn't a wrestling fan at all. I, I just didn't get into pro wrestling. Uh, my dad, you know, my dad took me to a, a, sh- a couple of shows, and I just wasn't into it. Um, so. My, my, you know, my career was going to be, I wanted to be a high school football coach and, you know, do that sort of stuff or whatever. And uh, so during my, you know, Christmas break from college, my high school coach, you know, referred me to go to this new wrestling school that was going to open up here in San Antonio for a couple of weeks until I went back to school. And, uh, and he specifically said, I'm not telling you to be a wrestler, uh, just a lot of the guys that are wrestlers used to be football players. And so he referred me to Joe Blanchard here in San Antonio. And because I wasn't the high school football and all that, Kelly, his son, was a was a star quarterback here in San Antonio for his uh, for Churchill High School here in here in town. And so I was familiar with Kelly and the Blanchard name and all that stuff. So when he said Blanchard, well, shoot, I was going to go. And uh, I just went to go train. I just went to go, you know, squats and rolls and all the cardio stuff they were making us do and uh one day you know uh joe had sent joe blanchard and my football coach were good friends so joe knew what i was there for he you know he said yeah no problem you can go ahead and train here for a couple of weeks and you know uh go when you go back to school what have you and good luck to you and all that stuff so joe knew what i was there for so like i was supposed to go back on a sunday and on a Wednesday evening at training, he had one of the guys come in and ask me, you know, do you want to go help us with the ring uh, tomorrow in Corpus Christi, Texas? 
and uh, you'll make a couple of bucks, you know, and you'll have some money, you know, won't be a lot, but you'll have some money to spend, you know, at school and what have you. And so I said, sure. So I helped with the ring in Corpus Christi. Uh, I, w- I went down there with a gentleman named Juan Reynoso. And uh, my job after I put the ring up was during the show, I would sit uh, in the in the corridor part of the arena and make sure nobody came into the back door. And as I was doing that, you could see into the arena and I had a, a clear shot of the wrestling ring. So as I'm sitting there, you know, watching the back door, I'm also watching the matches and, you know, again, I wasn't really interested, but one of the matches I saw was, uh, I want to say it was Wahoo McDaniel and Kelly Blanchard. And, uh, from my from my where I was sitting, I could just see the ring. I couldn't see the fans around the ring. I could just see the ring, and but I could hear the fans. And the guys were just you know they were beating each other up, and Wahoo was throwing his chops. Tully was getting you know was was getting his butt whooped, and the fans were screaming and hollering, and you know and that that caught my attention, and. Uh, so, you know, that was over with, and the next day, you know, they asked me to go to help with a, another town in Laredo, Texas, and then Saturday I went to Austin, Texas, and then Sunday was San Antonio, and I saw, you know, uh, Killer Tip Brooks and Dick Slater, and and uh, that was it. I, I, uh, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what clicked, but I didn't, I never went back to school. And so when I was supposed to go that Sunday, I stayed home and there was a big show uh, downtown San Antonio with Southwest Wrestling. And I stayed and snuck into the back door. I hope to be gone by then. Snuck into the back door and, and watched the matches. And then the next day, Monday, I showed up at the office and I told Mr. Blanchard, you know, he, he, you know, he asked, what are, you, what are you doing here? And I said, uh, you, have a, you have a few minutes? And he said, sure, you know, what's going on? And I and I just told him I want I didn't I never told him I wanted to be a wrestler I just said I wanted to learn the wrestling business and uh, you know he said you know aren't you being don't you have a scholarship for don't you aren't you being a school I said yes sir but I want to learn the wrestling business and it took him a couple of seconds and then he just like went off <laughs> Joe Blanchard went off on me and. Um, told me how I was going to make no money and I was going to suffer and have no stable relationships and, you know, sleep in my car and, you know, scrape, you know, to make a living and miss birthdays, miss holidays and stuff like that. I won't have a good family. And, and, uh, he was, and he asked me, is that what you want? And I looked him, you know, I'm not going to say I looked him in the eye, but I looked at him and I said, yeah, I wanted, I want to learn the rest of the business. And so he gave me a set of keys to go, you know, go to, to the building next door, which was where we did our TV tapings, start mopping the floor. And that was it. I mean, watching guys like Tully and, and Dick Slater and Wahoo and Ivan Pesky was here and I think Chava was here and Tiger Conway Jr. and a guy named Tank Patton and, and uh, you know, watching them. And I, I don't I, – I really can't tell you what it was, but I just – it was like from – <laughs> one day to the next, I think I want to. I think I want to learn this stuff, you know. And uh, you know, I, you know, I, I got in, and, and all those guys, you know, for a period there, they 
were very standoffish with me, and I appreciated that. Now I look back and I'm like, I'm glad they were. You know, I mean, I I learned. I feel like I learned the wrestling business as it really, you know, is supposed to be taught. You know, with the the tape saved on stuff and respecting the guys and and uh, you know, so I really can't say I had one particular guy as an influence. I mean, I had a bunch of guys that. You know that, that I looked at, and I took a little bit from each guy. You had a laundry list of, of guys there to uh, learn from. Just in that little answer, we heard Wahoo and Dick Slater and Tully Blanchard and Joe Blanchard. I mean, this is a who's who of wrestling legends, not just you know in the Texas area in San Antonio, but just all around the world. I mean, you had a you know quite the oh, library man. to learn from right there. There was a guy named Hacksaw Jim Duggan that came through here. There was a guy named Terry Allen that came through here. There was a guy named Ray uh, Ray Fernandez who changed his name to Hercules Hernandez. I mean, you know, uh, Tom Pritchard who you know was a was a you know he was just breaking in. I think he had been in for a couple of years. Now Tom is like one of the most renowned wrestling trainers in the world. You know, he, I mean, it, it, you know, Ken Lucas, Ricky Morton was here for a little while. I mean, yeah, exactly, a laundry list. Now, when you started training, you said, you know, you weren't really into wrestling. You wanted to learn the wrestling business. You trained for a couple of weeks just to do the cardio, the roles, and things like that. But once you decided you wanted to get into this, obviously you're going to step into the ring and be a wrestler. What was training like, though, for someone who, you know, you didn't really watch it, so you may not know much about it, but what was kind of the training like during that? And who were some of the guys that actually trained you in the ring? So the main guy in the beginning was a guy named Larry Lane. And at that time, he, he was, uh, you know, he was the punk cousin, uh, Terry and Dory. And uh, Larry Lane was an uh, all-Army wrestling champion. So the way the school was structured was, uh, you know, Larry would, 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 would get you in and, and run you through all the drills and what have you. And then you just did wrestling, wrestling, mat wrestling. We never got in the ring. Joe, Joe had uh, wrestling mats set up around the ring. And we'd roll them up for the TV tapers and stuff, but we never got into the ring. It was a privilege <laughs> to get to get into the ring when we finally did, and and uh, it was just like mainly just wrestling. And um, and then Larry Lane left, and uh, so then a guy named Ken Timms, you know, started coming in and working with us. And Ken Timms was just a a beast with, you know, now guys have the. Uh, those little step things that the Reebok sells or whoever. Well, Ken Timms had two, he had a piece of plywood and it was nailed to two, uh, two by fours on each side. And we just stepped up, stepped down, step up, step down, step for 30 minutes. And then, um, he had a, a piece of surgical hose that we would stretch, do stretches and stuff with. I mean, it was, you know, it, nothing, you know, nothing where, um, Stuff now, I mean, well, back. I'm sorry, back then it was like, what are we doing this for? It was just cardio stuff. And then after a few months, like after maybe four or five months, I guess, uh, it might have been Ken Timms. He, he said, you know, get in the ring. And I'm like, holy cow, really? <laughs> and he's like, uh, yeah, get in the ring. And so after doing squats and steps and, and push-ups and, you know, all this other stuff, then he made me run the ropes. And it was, it was all, you know, I tell guys today, this, you know, the same thing. I was never, uh, I was never uh, uh, beat up. I was never, you know, 
nothing, you know, no one ever touched me in a malicious way. It was all just working out, working out, working out, cardio, 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 body slams, you know, and they weren't, they weren't body slamming me to hurt me. They would, they were showing me how to, how to do this. And finally someone said, you know, Hey, you know, you got to do a headlock, you know, uh, no, I want to show you, uh, uh, sure. You know, and, um, so, you know, a guy would come in and, Hey, do you know how to do arm drags? Uh, no, going to show you, uh, sure. You know, and, and so I started guys, you know, as time went by, guys started trusting me and, uh, showing me stuff. Uh, but there's different levels of trust. So finally, uh, Somebody, I think, I think a guy got fired. One of the referees got fired, or he left, or something, and they needed a referee. So Joe called me in the office. I've been there for like seven, eight months now, and um, he said, uh, "Go to, you know, go to uh, Academy Sports or whatever, you know, All American Sports, which was those, you know, he knew the owner stuff." He goes, uh, "Tell Bob to give you a pair of pants and a referee shirt." And uh, so I went to this place, and the guys, you know, measured me and gave me a pair of black pants and referee shirt and I became a referee and what I what I mean there's different levels of trust um I refereed like the first two matches or so for for quite a while and nobody ever told me who was winning and who was losing ever I mean I no one then this was on for like for a while for three four you know four months or so I would just get in the ring and when the guy had when a guy was getting pinned I'd count one two if he kicked out great one, two, three. If he didn't, he didn't kick out. He was pinned. That was all there was to it. I never, I was never smartened, smartened up to how matches were put together. I, you know, and then in time, you know, finally someone said, "All right, this guy is going to go over, and you're not going to see what's going to happen." And and I'm like, "I'm not really, you know." <laughs> uh, so, you know. I got in, you know, I tell everybody the same thing. I was blessed because I got in. I feel like I got in the correct way. Everything that that I was taught uh, gradually, I appreciate greatly. I try and teach my guys that the same way today, except today guys are a little bit uh, impatient. And so if you take too long doing something, it's like, oh, you're holding me back, you know, that type of, that type of stuff. Um but I try to teach guys the same way. Just to, mainly, I just want them to appreciate what this business is about, and, and you know, the people that came before us and all that type of stuff. So after refereeing for a while, you know, you eventually got into the ring as a wrestler. Um, where was your? Who was your debut opponent? What was your debut match? Where was it? What do you remember about that first your first match? So, so Monday nights were TV nights. We would rec- uh, tape for TV. Um, so I've been refereeing for a while, and uh, like we had a big show Sunday, and one of the guys didn't show up, and uh, so you know we're back there. You know, uh, Jonathan Boyd was the booker, and so he's like, oh, "Well, so and so's not here, so this guy's got to work twice, and and what have you." So, you know, I, I learned from watching Boyd, uh, Jonathan Boyd, how to you know not to not to uh, you know panic when when stuff like that happens, you know things can just be worked out um you know but so the next day monday the same guy no showed so monday my, my job was to be the bell ringer guy and so matches start at 7 30 at 7 25 i'm standing there with the with my hammer and the bell getting ready to getting ready to uh 
to do my <laughs> to do my job. And Al Perez, who I had been getting in the ring with here and there, and uh, you know, came walking up to me and uh, he said, "Hey, what size shoes do you wear?" And uh, I said, ten and a half. Why?" He goes, "What size shorts do you wear?" And uh, I said, "Medium. Why?" He goes, "Come on." And I was like, uh, the "Show's gonna start." He goes, "Put that down. Just come on, let's go." So he takes me to the dressing room, and so Jonathan Boyd asked me, "What size shoes do you wear, mate?" And I said, "I, I wear, you know, ten and a half." And uh, he said, "What size shorts do you wear?" And I said, "Medium." He goes, "Anyone wears ten and a half boots?" And uh, Eric Embry said, uh, "I got an extra pair." He goes, "Give them to Rudy." So Eric throws me a pair of boots. Anybody wear a size, you know, medium shorts? And Bobby Fulton said, uh, "I got, you know, I, I do." And he said, "You know, Boyd said you got an extra pair." So Bobby Fulton, Bobby Fulton gave me an extra, uh, a pair of baby blue wrestling trunks. Um, and so he said, "All right, put them on. You ain't got much time to waste." He goes, "You're uh, you're with Manny Villalobos." And uh, you guys are with the sheep herders, and I was like, whoa, 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 "What? You ain't got time to waste, mate. Get your stuff on." And that was it. I mean, and so from that moment till I don't know the next morning, everything was just like a blur. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I feel like I, looking back, is it, it was almost like I got as soon as I laced up my boots and put them on. I mean, Eric showed me how to lace up boots, and so I had I had no idea how to do that stuff. Uh, you know, as soon as I got my stuff on, all right, let's go. And so we went out to the ring, and and uh, I believe our match was like six or seven minutes on TV. And uh, I mean, it, it, parts of it seemed like it it was like an hour long. <laughs> parts of it seemed like it was a matter of seconds. But we, I did that match, and uh, apparently I did a good job. And so, uh, you know, Luke Williams, you know, told me. Uh, We'd like to use you more often, but you need to get your own boots. You need to get your own wrestling trunks. And so I did. And that was my first match. I believe it was like uh, February around the 15th, 16th of 1982, I want to say. may have been 83, somewhere around there. Now, once again, you're telling this story, and I'm hearing names, Eric Embry, Manny Villalobos, Al Perez, the Sheep Herders. Once again, another just laundry list of just men to learn from. I mean, these are, you know, once again, not just legends in Texas, but just all over. What was it like to work with some of these guys? Because I've had a chance to, you know, when I had a chance to get to know Manny Villalobos, uh, we talked on the phone, never got to meet him in person. But Manny was a great guy. I mean, just talking to him, he was always good with me. But what was it like to work with some of these guys back at that time? Easy. I mean, um, as long as, as long, and, 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 and again, back to the names. I mean, Tim Brooks and stuff. A lot of these guys were tough dudes. I mean, you know, they they were legitimately tough guys. As long as you treated them with respect and you knew your spot, you had no problem. And I, I, you know, I treated everybody with respect. I knew what my position was, which was just a, a dumb guy just got an opportunity, so don't you know, don't screw it up. And, uh, you know, guys would, uh, guys would, uh, after, after my match, even after I refereed a match or something, maybe, uh, Alvarez would come up and say, Hey, uh, slow down a little bit, you know, and then walk off. Or maybe Bob Sweetan will, you know, will, will say, uh, uh, you know, 
look the other way next time I, you know, I yell at you or something, or, you know, what, I mean, just little, little things, you know, and every now and then somebody, a guy named Bill Howard would say, sit down, kid. Uh, all right, so what was the first spot you did? What was the second spot you did? What was the third spot you did? And you'd have to remember all the stuff that you just did, and, and then why did you do this? Why did you do that? Wouldn't it be better? It, it'd be a better deal if you did, if you tried this a little bit differently. If you did this, you know, take your time. You don't got to hurry up, you know, uh, instead of going from the head to the arm, just stay with the arm, you know, just little things just and and if, i mean you'd have to be a knucklehead not to learn so you know and, and like like today if a guy like if today if i see a match and i just message a guy out of nowhere just say hey man uh don't like you know don't stomp your feet when you punch you know i'll get a reply back like well that's my style you know i don't know who you are who you think you are so i'm not trying to be anybody i'm just trying to help you out we would never talk to the guys that way because they were just trying to help us, and we knew that. Uh, so every, you know, if a guy, back then, if a guy didn't say anything to you, you had a problem. So, uh, you know, I was always more than appreciative of the guys that that said something or offered some time, some kind of advice or or tip or, you know. And, it, and, the, and, the, and the list is, you know, you know, from Luthez down to Eric Embry, I mean, greatly appreciated every every guy that said anything to me. All right, well, I'm going to hand the mic over to Glenn now. I'm sure he's got a few questions that he'd like to ask you. Yeah, the Southwest uh, Championship Wrestling. Uh, I, I, I was watching it. I, I kind of got into a binge watch a few years ago while uh, watching the old shows uh, from the 80s. Now, was that right around the time, too, when uh, Southwest was uh, still on the USA Network? Were you involved at all when that was still uh, part, part of the routine? Yeah, that they, they got on that, I believe, like in January of 81. And then... Uh, and then I came in in eighty. I came in in January of eighty two, and they were on the USA Network for a while there. And then um, I think something happened with Eric and Pelly. Uh, too much blood on on TV or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then there's some other issues that were going on, you know, in the background that I didn't know about. And so they, they so one day I'm watching, you know, Southwest Championship Wrestling on the USA Network, and then the next Saturday it's. All American wrestling from WWF. <laughs> so you, yeah, you were right around when you could you could see things were starting to kind of change a little bit as far as the the, the territory landscape uh, with, with with McMahon coming in, especially most notably uh, taking over that time slot, which was uh, and, and soon uh, proved to be a, a, a very valuable uh, piece in McMahon's uh, I guess collection as he was uh, you know chewing up and territories and getting TV uh, you know local TV and cable TV deals. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what he what he did was take you know what I saw was he took a lot of the main guys from all the rosters and then you know nobody's expecting this so the the, the guys the mid card guys or, or whatever was left they weren't built up you know uh, properly with enough time and stuff so you know they ended up you know getting. You know, the territories ended up getting eaten, like you said, eaten up by WWE or F by this man. And uh, you know, you you can't you can't main event a, a guy that two weeks ago was the first match, you know, and expect people to believe that stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah. 
did it start to see you know start to make an impact when you started did, when crowds started to thin out a little bit? Did, did you notice a little bit uh, of some of the downturn of the pro wrestling business uh, as a kind of a, as a result of of McMahon being able to take out some of these guys and having to uh, you know basically do some scramble booking? Well, like back back then, like um, a typical let's let's just say Southwest wrestling. Back then, we would do Monday night TV, which was in a place called a Junction that was like uh used to be a small grocery store it held about 200 or so 300 people tuesday nights was like we'll say like laredo texas uh at the civic center which held you know we draw like four five six hundred people out there um tuesday wednesday was maybe uh i don't know uh, a spot a spot town of somewhere like burnett texas or something like that wednesday thursday was always corpus christi and that was at the coliseum and that was another three, four, five hundred people, six hundred maybe. Uh, Friday was another small town somewhere. Uh, Saturday was Austin, Texas, and then Sunday was San Antonio. Uh, then you know, Mr. Man came along, and he was doing like these big arena shows, and he was dividing up his crew into two two groups, and they were doing. You know, they weren't doing Burnett, Texas. They were doing Chicago and, you know, St. Louis the same night. You know, I mean, they were doing big cities and stuff like that. And, the, the you know, they, were, they weren't they were doing these small civic centers. They weren't doing VFW halls. They weren't doing, they were doing arenas. And uh, so the presentation was a lot bigger and, and the crowds were bigger. And, and, you know, the smaller guys, it's like, you know, it's like the mom and pop stores, you know, running for years and years, and here comes Walmart. Walmart just, you know, takes away all the business. And so um, you saw that, like, right away. And uh, I think I think on on uh, Mr. Blanchard's part, there was, you know, Kelly was already gone. He had went to the Carolinas, I believe. And, you know, he was older, and, and that, you know, there just wasn't – any any fight left, I guess you could say. I don't know. Uh, and he ended up selling the company to another guy, and and he tried, you know, running uh, a big show every now and then at, at Gillies in Houston or whatever. But there was still WWF out there, and they just ate that, you know, ate, ate him up also, you know. Mm-hmm. Plus he was doing some other stuff on the side. So, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, once Vince came in and you know, and if anybody if anybody at that time became a star or became marketable this was sign them and they were gone you know you know, with Texas, you know, you talked about with Southwest, uh, you know, turning into what basically Texas All Star. Uh, that that brought with uh, some different guys, and you you mentioned that there was big shows, there were tapings at Gillies. And uh, I remember one one year, I, I, the uh, they did the uh, two ring battle royals, and, and they brought in some guys, you know, through Gary Hart. You had your Bruiser Brodies come in. Of course, Bruiser was a, a staple of Texas in the Southwest pro wrestling scene. Just the ultimate independent contractor. You had you had guys like that. You also had Chavo Guerrero on these these events. So there was still some names out there. But again, you mentioned it really is hard once you have uh, such a national product like the WWE. UF coming in that even it could it, the impact it did have on those markets but it was one of those things where 
Texas All Star did have come in with the best of intentions out of the uh, the shadows, or I guess from the ashes of Southwest Championship. Yeah, I mean, and, and like, I mean, even today, I mean, guys put promotions together with the best of intentions, but it's just it's just so hard, you know. If you don't, you know, I mean, I, I think I think uh, one of the reasons why a lot of guys fail is they try and outdo Vince, and no one's going to do that. Um, so, like, like Texas also wrestling ran. There was a problem. Um, there was some. There was some stuff going on. You know, uh, in in the back, in the dressing room, in the back the back line area. Uh, Brody and uh, I want to say it's Mark Lewin did a match where they basically killed they killed the territory for Texas All Star Wrestling. And it took a while. Chavo Guerrero was brought in to kind of like, you know, build up the territory again. And he he was able to get one big show out of it, out of his time here. And, and that was it. I mean, it, it, and, it, and he worked hard at it. But he was able to get, and that was the Battle of the Alamo here in San Antonio. And then once that once that took place, uh, I mean, the crowd just dropped again. And Chavo, I mean, he pulled out all the stops. He had his dad come in. And I think Alma drilled you know, pile drives him or something. And, you know, I mean, but that was, that was a one shot deal. That was, you know, it didn't, it was, it didn't last very long. Yeah. I can remember that. That was the battle of the Alamo. Yeah. Because there was guys, I mean, that Teddy Biasi was even on that, on that event uh, as well. And then of course the, the big battle Royal that was won by uh big Bubba, who of course, uh, what became, you know, tugboat. He was the shock master, yep. Fred Ottman. I mean, that's, that's some of the stuff, the takeaways I remember, uh, from that, but boy, you know, a big show, big peak. And, you know, just like that, it, it, it starts to, it's back down to, to business as usual, which was unfortunate because it seemed like, uh, things, did have some promise, but again, Chavo really had to put out all the stops and and bring in some some pretty pretty big talent uh, for that event. Sure, I mean, and yeah, yeah, uh, Big Bubba was here, and um, and Ted DiBiase, and One Man Gang. The main event was One Man Gang and Chavo, and I think not long after that, One Man Gang turned into um, I, I'm, Kareem. I'm, I don't know, Akim, Akim, I think it was Akim. Something like that, mm-hmm. and Ted DiBiase ended up with Vince, you know, and Bubba went with Vince, and so you know, again, he, this man just took away the the guys that were strong, and uh, left you know Texas All Star with, with you know with, and I'm not gonna say scrubs, but you know they weren't main event guys yet, and so it was hard to build them up, you know, knowing you know it's hard to do something when no someone's gonna snatch that stuff away from you. And you can also include into the mix too uh, with Houston wrestling uh, with the retirement to a Paul Bosch. That was another one of those, uh, you know, nails in the coffin uh, for that time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And Paul was Paul ran. Paul's situation was unique because he had guys from Southwest, he had guys from World Class, and he had guys from Mid South all working on his on his shows. So you know, you know, back then we had our crew. Fritz had his crew and Bill Watts had his crew, but we still, you know, I know, I know, I did anyway. Still thought of like, what would it be like if Scott Casey from Southwest had a match with Mr. Olympia from Mid South? You know, uh, what would it be like if Kerry Von Erich, you know, from World Class, wrestled against, uh, you know, Tiddy Biasi from, from 
Mid-South. And Paul Boston had those matches there. Um, I don't know how he did it, but he did it. I mean, you, Kerry Von Erich would never work for Joe Blanchard, you know, and Tully would never go up and work for, for Fritz. And, I mean, everybody, you know, they were part of their own little territories. But somehow or another, Bill, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Paul Bosch had all the guys going down there on Fridays. I refereed for him on Fridays a few times. And, uh, I mean, he'd have all the guys there, you know, working on Friday nights for him in Houston. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and not unlike a situation in in St. Louis with with Sam Muchnick through through the years as well. I want to talk a little bit about uh, a couple of the guys uh, that were in that Southwest era before uh, it became uh, a Texas All Star, and a guy that uh, passed away not too long ago. A guy that uh, had uh, a rather notorious reputation, uh, but he was very pop, you know, very big at the time for for being this solid heel. But apparently, we found a lot more than we had bargained for with this gentleman. I'm going to talk about what you thought of. Uh, well, being around Bob Sweet Tan at the time, because Mr. Pile Driver. Um, Bob was you. I, I didn't know him very well. I just I knew him enough to uh, even as a kid. I knew him enough to just keep your distance. You know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know he 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 was always. I mean, don't get me wrong. He was always nice to me. But there was, you always get, you know, sometimes you get this vibe with certain people and, you know, he, 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 until the very end, but he was always nice to me. And, um, he, he was one of the guys that would, would tell me, you know, uh, you know, try doing this a little bit differently, you know, try doing that, you know, instead of, you know, instead of doing this, try something else differently. You know, I mean, he, he was one of the guys that, little tidbits out there for me um so so uh part of my job with with joe blanchard was he would rent a, a car i was you know 19 20 years old so i couldn't rent a vehicle at the time so joe had joe blanchard had a deal at the uh, rental company here in san antonio and he would send me to, to national rental car and i you know there was a lady there that that uh took care of all the boys and so she would give me the car, she would give me a car, and uh, I was the guy that would pick up guys from the airport and drive them to different towns and stuff. I, I picked up Road Warriors, I picked up Carlos Colon, Tommy Rich, you know. And that's education in itself as well. You could sit with the guys and drive and talk, you know, talk with them for a while. So um, so one day I, 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 did a, I did a loop, you know, we did like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and so Monday... Uh, no, I'm sorry. Sunday we were off, and I stopped. I had the I had the rental car, and um, stopped by the office. And as I'm walking in the office, Bob Sweetan's walking out of the office, and uh, he's like, "Hey, uh, hey, where'd you get that car from?" And uh, I said, oh, "Joe got it for him. I got to take it back to the rental place, though." And he goes, uh, "You mind if I use it? I need, my car's not running so well. I need to run an errand, but I'll, I'll take it to the you know, I'll take it to National. I'll I'll, t- I'll turn it in for you." And um, me being, you know, the young, dumb kid, oh, sure, Bob. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> so <laughs> so I gave him the keys. I went in the office, talked to Joe for a little while, and I got my own car and went home. So, like, uh, a week or so later, Joe calls me in the office. And he's like, uh, hey, did, did, did you turn in that? that rental vehicle I gave, I got for you last week. And I said, uh, yeah, I did. He goes, when, when did you turn it in? And I said, uh, when it was supposed to be turned in? And he said, what day was it? 
And uh, I like I don't remember what day it was, but I, yeah, I turned it in. And uh, so he calls the rental place and he puts the lady on speakerphone and she's like, "No, we haven't had a back, we haven't had that car back." And he said, "Are you sure you turned it in?" And I was like, "Oh, wait a minute. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, I, I let I let Sweet Tan turn it. Sweet Tan said he's going to turn it in." And Joe said, "Sweet, what?" And uh, I said, "Yeah." When I was walking in, he said he needed to run some errands and stuff and, and what have you. And uh, he said, "Rudy, Bob Sweet Tan's no longer in the territory. Oh he, no, he's gone." And I was like, "Oh." He goes, he took your car to wherever he's going. I was like, oh, he goes, we need to get that car back. He goes, we need to find out where he's at. And back, this is like 1983, 84, I guess. I don't know. There was no internet. There were no cell phones. There were no emails. There was no Google. There was no nothing like that. There was no Facebook. It was shit. Where could he have gone? So... Joe called the lady up again and told her what happened. And so obviously she went, you know, she lost it and started yelling and stuff. Not at Joe, but at me, you know, but I was listening on the speakerphone. And um, long story short, they found the car like two weeks later in Tampa at a Piggly Wiggly. And um, so they had it brought back to San Antonio and there was like a, there was like a fee of $4,000 or something like that, you know, from late charges and mileage and all this other stuff. And um, Joe took care of it for me. He, he uh, you know, he, he called me in and he said, we found the car and, and told me what happened and stuff. Because there's, you know, there's a balance, there's a, there's a balance of four, over $4,000 that's due. And I was like, for what? And he told me all the stuff, whatever. And uh, he goes, how are you going to pay for it? I was like, uh, I ain't seen $4,000 in my life. So I was like, I don't know. I'll, I'll work extra hours. I'll because I'll take care of it for you. He goes, he goes, he just said, I'll take care of it. And then he gave me this long speech about, you know, he sat down and talked to me about not trusting guys and, you know, you know, stuff like that, you know, and uh, taught me a lesson, you know. I'm going to bring the conversation back over to Mike McCurdy. And uh, Mike, uh, uh, we, we wanted to uh, mention, uh, well, to Rudy uh, and ask Rudy about a certain superstar who just passed away. Uh, Mike, I want you to uh, take over. Uh, would that be all right? I think I can handle that. Um, Rudy, we're going to skip forward just a little bit here. Um, you eventually got into actually being into training uh, wrestlers. You worked with Shawn Michaels at his school. You had a chance to work with, a man who just passed a couple of days ago as of this recording, Jose Lothario. Can you tell us a little bit about, one, about getting into training yourself and working with Jose Lothario? So, so here, here's a little backstory here. So remember when I talked about my dad taking me to those wrestling matches that I really wasn't interested in? One of the, yes. one of the shows he took me to was uh, back, you know, they had three or four matches and then there were dark matches, and then they had like four matches that were for TV. And so there was always like a, there was like a gap of an intermission or so between the sec two segments. So my dad, the, the one of the shows that my dad took me to, Jose was sitting at a table. He was going to be the TV comment, you know, he was going to do commentating or whatever. And so during the break, my dad gave me a program and a pen. He said, "Go get, go get his autograph. Go get his autograph." And I was ten, eleven years old, nine years old or so. Um, 
I, I didn't know who he was. My dad, go, go get his autograph. Go get, go, 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 son. Go get his autograph. So I go up to him and I tap him on the shoulder and he looks at me and then he turns away and, you know, ignores me. So I look at my dad. My dad's like four or five rows back and he's like, God, tell him again. Tap his shoulder. So I tap my shoulder again and Jose looks at me and goes, what do you want? And I was like, can I get your autograph? And he's like, not right now. Not right now. And so I was like, okay. Uh, and then Jose motions for a police officer to get me, you know, to take me away. So I see the cop coming. So I walk, I go ahead and walk off to where my dad was, but I crumbled up the program and I threw it at Jose. And, uh, so the cop starts you know, walking a little faster. My dad's like, ah, it's my son. I said, I got I'll get him. I'll get him. I'll get him. So <laughs> that was the last time I went to a wrestling show. So now fast forward. Um, I, I, you know, crossed paths with Jose year, years later and, and, and doing shows and stuff. Um, finally, like, uh, you know, I, I actually quit the business and, you know, the same week I quit the wrestling business, uh, Sean called me about, about his wrestling school. And, um, so, you know, after talking, whatever, I said, okay. So the first day of training well it wasn't quite training we we're gonna all meet up and stuff um to talk about to talk about training i walk into the gym and jose's sitting there and um me and jose had a had a problem I, as a matter of fact the reason why i quit the wrestling business at that time was we had a you know we had a disagreement we had a uh, you know whatever you want to call it and so i was like screw this and i walked away so i walk in the gym and i see jose sitting there and um, so I was like, oh, man. <laughs> so uh, we talked, what have you, and, and we figured out a program and whatever to do. And um, it was just, you know, working with Jose, I learned, uh, you know, you put water under the bridge and stuff like that. But I learned, uh, I listened. I was learning just like the other kids were. I mean, he had a different philosophy of training guys than what we, you know, what we had figured out and stuff. I mean, and he was an older guy. I respected him. I respected what, what, uh, you know, what he wanted to do. And, and, uh, I mean, like, you know, you, you have in this business, you have to, he's an older guy and, and he's been around longer and, and, uh, you know, he knows more than us. And so, you know, a lot of times it was, you know, listen, listening to him explain stuff or whatever, even though maybe myself and there was another guy, Ken Johnson, even though we wanted to do the same exact thing, Jose explained stuff just a little bit different that made things make sense a little bit more. Um, so, I mean, you know, it was a pleasure working with him, you know, uh, I have the utmost respect, you know, for him and his accomplishments, what have you, uh, to be able to say that I trained alongside him, alongside of him, uh, it, 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 you know, it's, that, that's just, um, uh, a great, a great privilege for me to, for me to say. Now, you know, you said Sean contacted you about getting into this. You started getting into training. and I, What were, from what you learned in wrestling, what were some of the ways you were teaching uh, current students? Because as I mentioned in the opener, uh, Daniel Bryan came through that school, Bryan Danielson. Uh, Bryan Kendrick came through that school. I believe you also had, um, I'm drawing a blank on some of the others, but you had a long list of guys that came through that went on to have good careers, WWE, TNA, some of that. What were some of the things that you were teaching them that you learned through your, when you were training? 
So, uh, like I said before, I was I was never uh, beat up or anything like that. You like you hear horror stories of of guys, you know, uh, you know, back in my day, they broke my shoulder and made me do twenty five push ups, you know, that type of stuff. Um, no one ever did that to me. My, tr- you know, Ken Timms and Manny Fernandez and Chavez and all those guys, they just trained me. You know, I mean, run the ropes this way and this is how you do a clothesline. This is how you grab a headlock. No one, no one ever tried to hurt me. And so one of the things that, um, you know, when we started doing Sean's school was one of the things I told Sean was the last thing I want to do is hurt anybody. I would never, you know, I was never beat up. So why should I beat up anybody? You know, and Sean agreed. And I, I told him, you know, if we beat up somebody and they get hurt, they're going to come and, they're not going to sue me. They're not going to sue Jose. They're not going to sue Ken Johnson. They're going to sue you because you got the money. So Sean was like, yeah, you're right. So our philosophy of training guys was exactly that, training guys. And we started from conditioning um, and then just working our way up, working from the basics and working our way up. Guys, if they didn't get it, and they, you know, and this is just, this is just natural, I guess. Uh, guys that didn't catch on, and they saw other guys catching on, they took themselves out. We didn't have to beat up anybody or stretch anybody to to make them quit. Um, so you know, and 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 way back in the beginning, like I said, my my dreams of, of when I was going to grow up was to be a football coach. Well, I wasn't a football coach, but I was given the opportunity to be a wrestling coach, and. You know, that's what I've been spending the last, you know, up to that point, 15 years of my life doing. So, uh, Sean gave me an opportunity, and, you know, we, I, I, I took it as far as I could and, and did the best that I could. I never missed a day of training. I was always there for the guys. I mean, Brian, you can hear interviews and stuff or read books about, with you know, with Brian Kendrick and Brian Danielson. If they wanted to open the gym up at 7 o'clock at night just to go roll around the ring, hey, I got the keys, let's go. You know, just call me. Uh, growing up, my football coaches were always there for me. They were always, you know, and then when I got into pro wrestling, um, there was always, the older guys were always there. If I needed, to, if I had a question to ask, Manny Fernandez was always there to answer those, those questions. Chava was always there to answer those questions. Joe was always there to answer those questions. Uh, Husky, I mean, they were always available for me to, pick their brain or what have you. So in turn, um, I was always available for my students for the, you know, for the, for, well, there were Sean's students at the time. I was always, I was always available for, for the students, you know, they had my number. They, you know, they, uh, they, they call me or text me or whatever. Um, you know, uh, if a guy failed, you know, and he's like, oh man, I suck. No, you don't suck. You just, suck. you just don't got it yet. Just, just be patient. Um, you know, and, Whatever, whatever it was that you guys saw on TV with Sean, like night and day, Sean is, is uh, and even though I'm a couple years older than Sean, I learned from him as well. Sean was, you know, I'm glad he's got a position at the Performance Center because Sean's a hell of a trainer and patience and he can talk to guys and, you know, he's one of those guys that have been there, done that. I've been there, done that to a point. And I tell all my students the same thing. I've, I've never been under contract with anybody. I've just worked my, my butt off for the last, you know, 100 years or what have you. And I have a decent reputation as a, as a good worker. 
and I have an idea of what how things should be and how things shouldn't be. So, you know, and if you know the way I see it, if the, the greatest you know performer in the in the history of wrestling hired me to run his school, then I must have an idea of what you know how this stuff works. So, you know, I try and share my experiences with guys. Um, you know, not everybody is Shawn Michaels, but you know, you don't have not everybody needs to be Shawn Michaels. There's there's plenty of Kurt Hennings and there's plenty of Kurt Angles. There's plenty of, you know, Brad Armstrongs. There's plenty of, you know, a lot of other guys. So, um, you know, all the experiences that I've gone through, I tell my students the same thing. There's, pro- there's really not a whole lot they can tell me that I haven't seen or dealt with, you know, and I try and share my experiences with them, you know, win, lose, or draw. Whatever I did right, I share with them. Whatever I did wrong, I share with them. Whatever, yeah. I share with them, you know, they can draw from, you know, from what, what I've done, you know. Now, we mentioned, obviously, Daniel Bryan and Brian Kendrick, but who are some of the other names that, you know, went through Shawn Michaels School, went through Texas Wrestling Academy that our listeners would know? And how do you feel as their trainer knowing that, you know, you played a part in, you know, the success that <clears throat> they're having now? Uh, so in Shaw's school, there was Michael Shane, uh, who was in TNA for a while. He was in Ring of Honor. Uh, there was Masada, who was in Ring of Honor in TNA. Uh, not TNA, but he was in All Japan. Hernandez was actually trained by another guy and then, you know, started, you know, calling me for advice and, you know, what do I do about this, what do I do about that. Hernandez, um, Lance Cade, uh, late Lance Cade. Um, Shofunaki brought a kid from Japan named Milano Collection AT, who was a huge, big star. He was a big star in Japan, and I didn't realize it. And he came in here just as humble as can be and and uh, learned and worked with us, and, and, you know, I learned quite a bit from him as well. Um, and then once I took over, you know, then, you know, a kid named Paul London showed up, and uh, Paul was one of those kids that was all over the independence here in Texas, and, he you know, he had, I mean, a a heck of a talent. He just needed someone to tell him, don't do this, don't do that, try this differently, like guys did many years ago with me, you know. Um, Herndose Hernandez. Uh, and then as time went on, I mean, I've had several kids from the Texas, you know, at the Texas Wrestle Academy. Uh, Jacob Kilgore. Uh, there was a kid named Dash Riprock. His name was Tim Humphreys. Very talented. Um, but, you know, they ended up, you know, wrestling wasn't for them, I guess. I, I, I don't know. They they went off and did other things. Uh, as of late, though, the last couple of years, man, I've I've been, like, blessed with, um, one, there's a kid named Max Castellano who, who uh, uh, came in and, and uh, he actually went, he actually, you guys hear about, you know, investing yourself and stuff like that. Well, he actually flew himself to a, uh, one of the Arnold classics and introduced himself to one of the WB suits. And they suggested he go to the tryout in Orlando. And he did. And he, he, uh, didn't really do, he did, he did well, but there were some things he did. He didn't do so well in, and they suggested that he came to train here with me. And, you know, the kid was like a sponge and, uh, you know, one of the, one of the proudest moments of my, you know, of doing the TWA was, he went and did a tryout uh, for Evolve. He got asked to, to appear on NXT. 
which he did, and then they brought him in uh, for a Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, or a Thursday, Friday, and Saturday tryout at the Performance Center. The same people that told him, you know, you need to work on this, you need to work on that. The same people that told him, you know, all that stuff, are the same people that said, man, you've done so well, you've improved greatly, you have a future. I mean, and, and that just, you know, that's what that's what I'm here for. Um, I have a kid named Terrell Tempo, who, who uh, another, I mean, blessed, good, great attitude, hard worker. I mean, I, I, I don't, I really have, you know, a lot of these kids, I haven't heard a bad word said about them um, since they've been in the business. You know, uh, Terrell Tempo, Moonshine Mantel is one who right now is hot and he's, you know, tearing up the, you know, Texas indie scene right now and getting ready to go overseas. Uh, good kid, hard worker. Um, I mean, I can't say enough about him. Um, Alex Gracia, uh, girl came in last September. No knowledge of professional wrestling other than Total Divas. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that was a challenge because she didn't understand anything. She didn't you know, one of the guys was ribbing her about, you know, uh, you know, catchphrases and stuff and giving her different catchphrases. And she was like, I don't know. I don't know who says, do you know what, you know, do you know what I'm cooking? I don't know. What does that mean? I, you know, I'm like, where did you hear that from? You know, and, and she, but now she, she's catching it and, you know, she has some work to do. Um, you know, and this stuff isn't, isn't, um, this stuff isn't mastered in a, in a day. It's not, it, it's not figured out in a year or two or three or four. It's, it takes time. Um, but she works hard. Uh, there's Micah Madrid, uh, came from New Mexico and, and, uh, you know, she's, she's one of the most, uh, she doesn't get a lot of credit for whatever reason, but she's, she, she is a very good little worker. And, and, uh, I mean, she knows her stuff around the ring. She knows what makes sense, what doesn't make sense. Um, I mean, I've got a list. I mean, there's uh, Andre Law. There's a kid named uh, Alex London. Uh, yeah, London. I mean, they're good, good kids. They work hard. Uh, you know, like I said, this stuff isn't figured out in a day. It, it, it's going to take a, a while, but they're willing to learn. You know, and there's no attitude with them. They, they, uh, they're all just thirsty. They're hungry for knowledge, you know. Well, now it uh, looks like the clock on the wall says it's time to wrap up this edition of Wrestling Memories Then and Now. Boy, Rudy Gonzalez, the time flies when uh, we, we get to talking, and I, I would love to have you back on. Uh, Mike could probably uh, agree to that as well. I'd love to have you on just to... Uh, I, I, think, I, think I, can, I think I can do that. And I will actually... Uh, Rudy, I'm actually going to see Moonshine tonight at uh, DCW. He's facing Andy Dalton again, so I'll be looking forward I to seeing him tonight. I saw them last night in Austin, and they kicked each other's butts up and down the ring. I think Andy Dalton got the win, but I think Moonshine's going to get the win tonight. All right, there we go. We got the prediction, man. I'm going to make sure to let uh, I'll make sure to let Dalton know that one. Maybe that's going to amp up his game. <laughs> Thank you guys for having me on. I really do appreciate it. Anytime, just let me know. It's um, not that hard to find. Sounds good. Sounds really good. I want to get you on and just do uh, do a theme, couple of themed episodes. We can do uh, memories of Southwest Championship Wrestling and Texas All Star. I mean that 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 as well as what you're doing today. I mean we we can go, we, we, we 
can do some stuff. Sure, anytime. For Michael McCurdy, the Grizzled Vet, I'm Glenn Broggett. This has been Rasslin' Memories. So long for now. Big thank you to Rudy Gonzalez. All right, thank you, guys.